Good morning. morning. I would like to mention that there may be a few of these left in the back. Um, How can I, why I trust the Bible? This is in Spanish. There may be some Spanish ones left. There may be some English ones left. I think I did mention yesterday, but I'll mention again to the folks here that the booklets that I ordered and uh, had hoped would be here in time to bring yesterday uh, did not arrive until yesterday. So I'll be sending some back to the assembly here. Particularly would like the young people to get them. It's a little bit thicker booklet uh, on subjects that we've been discussing about the reliability of the scripture and so on. I'd like for the young folks to have that. There may be a few books left. I brought a couple of boxes of books yesterday on the Bible and subjects pertaining to the Bible. There may be a few of those. I do not want to take any back home with me. So um, you'll be stuck with them here. If you weren't here yesterday, and there may be some, you may want to look there and and help yourself. So uh, we're going to turn now to 2 Timothy again, which could be sort of a theme verse for much of what we've been taking up on the subject of of, uh, how we can trust the Bible and how we can know it's true, the reliability of the Scripture, and so on. And I'll read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Social media certainly has its pluses and its minuses. Uh, Some of you probably have seen recently, if you're friends with me, um, on Facebook that is, uh, a post that I put up, I thought it was apropos for the time of year, about um, life is short, spend as much time as possible on the internet arguing with people you don't know about politics. (laughs) Uh, Folks seem to appreciate that a little bit. Um, on the other hand, I thank the many of you who have commented that you're praying for me and my family due to the recent tragedy in my brother's life and the loss of two of his three children. And uh, I, I can tell you honestly that of all the things I've ever posted, that has generated more response and more comments than I think anything I've ever posted. Uh, tragedy touches all of us in one way or another. And that has been evidenced by the amount of uh, responses that have been generated just from that post on Facebook. And so we remember once again, in reality, life is short. And the Lord has given us this time that we have to prepare for what comes next. And this is all we have to prepare. There's no preparation after our eyes close in death. Our state is then fixed. And whatever state we're in, as we go out in death, that's a fixed state. It cannot be undone. And so uh, may we be reminded of it. Now, I'm really at a loss. It's 20 to 12. Uh, I'm I'm definitely not stopping at 12. I can tell you that straight ahead of time. 12.15, I may stop there. Uh, (laughs) I, I always stop when I'm done. So with that in mind, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I will read again. I think I'm going to actually back up to verse 15, because it's so apropos. I do take great encouragement again as I see the younger ones up here memorizing Scripture at very early ages and at other ages, because as we read here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul writing to Timothy says, From a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. They're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God, that is, that's a generic term, not just a male, may be, man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'd like to just review briefly some of the things that we took up on Friday and Saturday along this subject about the Bible and how we can be sure. One of the first things we did was to examine the claims of the scriptures themselves. And we saw, uh, there's no question about it, but that the Bible claims to be the word of God. We looked at a number of verses that have to do with that. We barely looked at a handful or so of the many verses. I think I noted 3,800 times in the Old Testament that the Bible declares in one way or another that it is the word of God. The Lord spoke. Uh, the, the Lord said, and the word of the Lord came to, and so on. So very clearly, there's no question about it, but that the Bible declares uh, that it is indeed the word of God, a special and unique revelation from God himself. We touched a bit on the subject of revelation in general. We made uh, some basic assumptions. I have no qualms or uneasiness about making assumptions Every field of uh, even philosophical thinking has certain assumptions that it begins with, certain things that it assumes, even if they say they don't, they do. And one of the things that we said, if there is a God, if we can make that one assumption that there is a God, then it is reasonable, it is probable, it is likely and possible, certainly, that he would somehow communicate his will to us. And so we talked a little bit about Revelation in two general areas. We talked about general revelation, God having revealed himself in creation, God having revealed himself in human conscience, and so on. But then we said that general revelation is not sufficient. General revelation cannot tell us everything, and we need for that special or specific revelation. And we had quoted some of the young folks this morning, quoting from Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, we'll touch on those two general areas, or two, one general area, uh, the uh, heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork, that's the, the revelation of God in creation. And then the special revelation, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and so on. Uh, and so God has given special revelation in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God incarnate as he came into this world. He took upon him a body of flesh to reveal God to us. No man hath seen God at any time, John says, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has exegeted him. He has brought him out into the open. He has declared him. And he did it in such a way that he could say to men while he stood upon this planet, the Lord Jesus, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So complete was the revelation in his person in that sense. But God did not just give us that revelation in a special revelation of his son. God also gave a special revelation by giving us his word, the scriptures, the writings that we have. And then we discussed what flows from this verse in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the subject of inspiration, that the scriptures are inspired of God, that is literally God-breathed. Not inspired in the sense that you see a beautiful sunset and think, oh, I'd love to be an artist and paint a picture of that. Or I'm a photographer and I'd like to take a picture of that. Uh, it just makes me feel so good. No. Inspiration, God breathed. God breathed. And the end result is that when it comes to the subject of inspiration, as I 
just sort of popularly define it for my own benefit and yours if you like, that the end result is God got written what he wanted to have written. He did it without violating the personalities and individuality of the writers of Scripture. They were at liberty and free, in a sense, to choose their method of approach, and some of them did in various ways. Luke approaches it a bit differently from John and so on like that. But the end result of inspiration is that God got communicated through human vessels what he wanted to have written. That led us to think a little bit about the other two concepts that are closely connected with that, and that is the infallibility of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture, the full uh, verbal and plenary, that is the plenary or the full inspiration and the verbal inspiration of Scripture, the very words of Scripture that were chosen. I made a point to show that it was critical not only in the words that were chosen, but certain major doctrinal truths and arguments were based not only upon uh, certain words of Scripture, but in one case, particularly in Galatians, on the whether a word was plural or not. He said not to seeds, plural, but to seed, singular. And the whole argument of the Abrahamic covenant and the promises that God made to Abraham of the Messiah who would come turns there, not just on a word, but on a word, whether it's plural or singular. So how critical it is that God communicated his word in such a way that the very words of Scripture are inspired as well. And that, therefore, if this book is inspired and infallible, uh, it is inerrant. On all it speaks upon, it speaks truth. It does not speak error, although it records the errors of people and the sins of individuals. It does it in such a way that you know that they were sins and you know that they were errors. Now, if you're like me, and most people aren't, of which you can be very thankful um, but anyway, if you're like me in this sense, uh, yesterday was an overwhelming amount of information. And even that was distilled down from an even greater overwhelming amount of information. But it was a lot to take in. I wouldn't assume that anybody took it all in. Therefore, again, the benefit of being able to go back to some of these recorded things, whether audibly uh, or whether visually or whether both, and going over and reviewing some of those things. But... I say that also to say that the goal of this mini-conference, in my mind at least, one of the things that I hope to achieve, if this is what God would be pleased to do, was particularly to leave the young folks and others with the, with the, um, the, the sense that whether we agree or not on all of these things, whether, whether we understand all of these things, that we have a reason for what we believe. We base our belief on the truth of what God says in his word. And if you can come away with that, well, that's a good thing and a very helpful thing. Speaking of which, one of the things that we examine in Scripture, one of the very critical things about the reliability and trustworthiness of Scripture has to do with the claims of the Lord Jesus, his attestation to the Scriptures themselves, claiming them to be the word of God and speaking of them as the word of God. And talking about things which the critics and scoffers mock at, uh, uh, miraculous occurrences and phenomena that the scripture records, of which the critics and sometimes certain scientists, not all of them, but some of the unbelieving stripe, uh, would ridicule and mock. But when you, when they do that, they must at least come face to face with the fact 
These are things that Jesus Christ himself taught and taught his followers and believed. And so we're left again with his view of Scripture. And at least for me as a believer in Jesus Christ, I think it is a very powerful thing that I want my view of Scripture to be as high as the Lord Jesus' is and not any lower. And he held up this book, the writings that they had at that particular time, and confirmed again it was indeed the Word of God. I spent a good bit of time talking about how we got our Bible, and one of the reasons for that was to point out at least one thing in that, that line of thinking, the accuracy of the transmission of the manuscripts and the scriptures as they were written, went over how the Hebrews were very meticulous in the text that they had. We talked about other external evidences, and I gave the little acronym MAPS. Remember what that means, young people, so that if you were here, your parents grill you when you get home as to whether you're paying attention or not. You can remember what maps represents. Manuscripts, archaeology, prophecy, and statistical probability. And I gave certain examples of uh, those particular things. Internal and external evidences for the Scripture. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to think about uh, something that naturally flows out of our few sessions together, and that is, what does it matter? What difference does it make? Or, to put it a little even briefer, so what? Well, let's look at the very scripture we have here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which ends by saying in our chapter division here in verse 17 that the scriptures are given by inspiration of God, they're profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But notice what follows immediately afterward. I charge you there before, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now comes a solemn charge to Timothy. To tell Timothy, I give you this charge. It's an ancient word, perhaps to us, or a bit archaic charge, but it was this responsibility I place upon you. I'm making you aware of your responsibility, Timothy, and not your responsibility to me, Paul, in this sense. This is a responsibility you have before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now, if that's not heavy duty, I don't know what is. But he puts that upon him to say, listen, the scripture is given and is complete and has been inspired by God and is profitable for all these things that you might reach that level of maturity and be fully equipped to every good work. And now in light of that, I place this responsibility upon you. I make you aware of your responsibility before the living God. Preach the word. You better know you have it in your hand, Timothy. That book you hold, those scriptures you have, the scroll, the writings that you have, that's the word of God, Timothy. It's the only thing that's going to do it. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Timothy, there's coming a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to want to hear it. After their own lust, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. They'll be turned unto fables. You preach the word. 
Why? Because you see, in the end, <laughs> and in a sense in the beginning, God's not interested in man's opinions. It's the word of God that matters. It's the word of God that has the power to change lives. It's the word of God that has the ability to equip believers. It's the word of God that has the power to deliver. It is God's word by the power of God. Uh, the gospel is communicated by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. And if I may uh, render that verse in a sense, because I know what it says, but part of our goal is not only to know what it says, but to know what it means. Faith comes by hearing, and by hearing, the Word of God. Romans chapter 10. But listen, faith comes by hearing. And by hearing God speak. That's the literal sense of that. There's a sense in which every believer, who is a believer, everyone who is a believer, you have heard God speak. Now hear me clearly and I will address this momentarily in the message. I'm not talking about the fact that you heard some audible voice out of heaven or some voice in your head. God's method of communicating to us and speaking to us is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God. But when you hear that Word of God, you hear God speak. Now, you may not have ever come to that realization yet, but if you're saved and you know Christ as Savior, think about it. You have heard God speak to you through His Word and what He says about His Son and about his salvation. And the beauty and the wonder and the great thing about that is your faith rests not upon your feelings. Your faith doesn't rest upon your emotions, upon church, religion, sacraments, liturgy. Your faith rests upon God has said. That's great, isn't it? And nobody can take that from you, you see. Your faith rests on the authority of God communicating his truth to you through his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. And if you can't trust this word in one place or the other, I don't know where you can trust it. You begin to pick and choose what you think in here is the word of God and what isn't, well, you're in trouble. Because then how do you know those places that talk about your salvation are really indeed the word of God? And so... It matters greatly, doesn't it? Timothy, there's coming a time when people will depart from the faith. But listen, God's truth matters more than man's opinions and man's philosophies. It's the word of God, you see, that is critical and crucial. And so, Timothy, preach the word. Um, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation in chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, you may remember, is that chapter that has to do with the rise of the one commonly referred to as the Antichrist, the rise of the beast. And I'm going to break in into the reading into chapter 13 and verse 11 to read what John says that he beheld. Revelation 13, 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. 
the second beast that comes, he, when you looked at him, he looked like a lamb. Had the characteristics of a lamb. It's pretty obvious from the rest of the reading of the scripture. He wasn't a lamb, and he certainly wasn't the lamb. But how would you know the difference? Listen to what John says. He looked like a lamb, but when you listened to him, he spoke like a dragon. He had the appearance of a lamb and the characteristics of a lamb, but listen to what he says, and you hear the voice of the dragon. Remember that. Uh, you see the discernment that God's word gives us to differentiate, not just what we see with the senses, so to speak. But what's important is, what are they saying? What are people saying? And does it match up? Does it line up with God's word rightly divided? Very important. I'm going to go back now to my early experience in life for just a moment and talk about a personal illustration, if I may. And you don't have a choice because I will. <laughs> That's the beauty of being up here. <laughs> so I shall. Uh, you know, I got saved, and there was an evangelist I knew in the Carolinas. Uh, his name was Worth Ellis, quite an evangelist. But as Worth used to say, I got saved real good. As if there were another way, you know. But, I mean, I knew what he meant. And most of you know, and if you're interested, there's a few tracks back there of my testimony on the back table as well. But um, I got saved. I was, I was dumb as a brick spiritually. I mean, I didn't know anything. I knew a few things about the, the Bible. I was raised in the South, sent to Sunday school as a young kid, got away from it as quick as I could when I turned a little bit older. So I really didn't know anything about spiritual things, spiritual truths. I was in sort of a, oh boy, I really date myself now. And anybody who knows what I'm talking about, you'll date yourself as well. But I was in a spiritual romper room, okay? If you remember romper room. Uh, sort of a little spiritual la-la land, you know? And, uh, you know, everything was all good. You know, anybody that said anything about the Bible or Jesus or anything like that, I had absolutely zero discernment. And I tell you, you know... I don't mind saying it, but you remember many of you, I was sitting in this little jail cell in this small town in Georgia, and it was an amazing experience because prior to my arrest there, there had been a paralegal uh, secretary who had been arrested, and he sat in that little jail cell one time, and he wrote a letter to the editor of the weekly paper, came out once a week in the small town, and he started his letter by saying something like, you know, this is a, a beautiful town as you drive through, and we see all the beautiful manicured lawns and the nice houses and the churches on every corner, and we sit down here in this jail, and nobody comes to visit us. Well, let me tell you, the next Sunday, I think every church of every stripe showed up at that place. <laughs> like 45 people knocking on the door, you know, to, to get in to try to visit these inmates, you know. And, and the sheriff back then was a sheriff named Sheriff Swan. And Sheriff Swan had a policy uh, that if these church folks came, you know what he did? Um, he took everybody who wanted to go. He put us all in one of the larger cells. He brought all these church people in. And then he locked the doors and he left for about two hours. <laughs> and 
Now, you want to talk about an interesting mix. We had Baptists, we had Pentecostals, we had Assembly of God, we had Church of God, we had, you know, you name it, whatever's in that town, and sometimes all locked them in together. I don't think these people have ever been in the same room, you know, unless they were at a restaurant or something. And and God used some of these people in my life. I mean, it was tremendous. Some of those people, I mean, they had a love that just almost oozed from them for the Lord. You know what I mean? They were dear, dear people. But, you know, we had some of them come along and say, now, if you're a Christian, you know, you need this and you need that and you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing that. I'm like, lay it on me. I want it all, you know, whatever you got. (laughs) And then I'm going to take the time to tell you this because it's really a remarkable providential thing happened in my life. Not to get too far out in the weeds, but just let's say... When you are tried and sentenced, as I was, um, there's a certain protocol. And by that I mean you are generally transferred from the place of your temporary incarceration, jail, and then you go to a processing center, and then they decide which prison facility you'll be sent to. One morning they got my... I got the, the, the trustee came by and he says, get your stuff. You're being transferred. I'm like, to where? Tobacco Road. I'm like, what? Like, I thought that was a movie, man. I didn't know it was a place, you know. <laughs> and so uh, totally against protocol. I never went to a processing center. They sent me directly to a prison to serve out the rest of my sentence. It's It was absolutely, again, and I'm praying like crazy the whole time, Lord, what do you got for me? What's going on? Why am I being moved? Da, 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 you know? Well, when I get to this place, my first question was, um, it was on a Thursday, do you have Bible studies here? And they said, yes, there's these two men. Uh, they come on, on Friday night and on Monday night. So I started going to the Bible studies. Now, at that time, I was under the influence of what I now consider to be some aberrant teachings, teachings that were not in line with the Word of God. And these men never came and tried to refute those particular things. What began to happen was these men taught the Word of God. And as I began to hear the Word of God, I began to examine what they were saying and what this book was saying with my experience. And you know what I found out? I found out that my experience did not match what God's Word said. Now, this may seem like a very simple thing for some of you, but for me, I was, I was tossed and turned in a sense. I loved these dear people. They were wonderful people. They had impacted my life for Christ. But the things they were teaching, and very early in my Christian experience, just a few months after being saved, I made what I believe was a very critical decision that affected the rest of my life. I made the decision that as much as I love these people, as nice as they are, I'm going to go with what God's Word says. I'm going to have to stand on what God's Word says. And I made that decision. And you see, that's a decision that many of us will have to face sometimes. It is not easy, is it? When you have true convictions developed, and they must be developed on the clear teaching of the Word of God. Folks can develop convictions on all kinds of things. Believe me, I've been around, I've heard them. 
But I'm talking about those clearly taught things from the Scripture that that is, as you begin to understand the truth of the Word of God, it's clear to you, this is what they're saying, and this is what their experience is, but this is what God's Word says. I'm going to have to go with this. And I made that decision. I was probably only saved six months, maybe. But what a crucial decision in those early days, and how that affected my life. Very important. You see, it touches on the subject of, of faith and practice. The Bible is infallible and is inerrant. It is inspired in all matters of faith and in practice. And by the way, I won't have time to take it up this morning except to say that the Bible is our guide and our rule, not only individually in our life, but this is where a lot of people jump ship collectively what we do as a local church. May I say it and say it in all kindness and love. There's lots of good folks out there and lots of people doing all kind of different things. Some of them good, some of them eh, some of them not good. But the rule is not what do we think. It's what does God say. It's not what does the crowd want, but has God spoken I'm talking about now, not just individually in our own lives, but we extrapolate that out to collectively as we meet together as a group of believers. It's God who designed the church, and it's God who tells us what we ought to do and what we ought to be like when we come together. I hope that's, that's clear. The Lord Jesus Christ possesses all divine authority. One of the young men, I think, quoted from that passage this morning, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18. Authority. What does authority mean? It is the power or the right to control, to judge, or to prohibit the actions of others. Authority. A position that commands the power or the right, the ability to influence or control others. Authority. God's authority has been communicated through the scriptures, the writings, the graphe. God has revealed himself through the scriptures, and the Bible is the divinely authoritative book that God has given. God's revelation to us is authoritative. We've already said the Lord Jesus recognized this, and it's important for us to recognize it as well. True believers in the Lord Jesus accept the Bible as God's authoritative guide and rule for our faith and our conduct, our belief and our practice. It is a revelation from God in writing. It is an objective revelation that we can turn to. It is an infallible norm. It is efficacious. That it means it has an effective power. One of the young folks quoted John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. With Thessalonians, we remember, receive the word of God as it is indeed the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believeth. 1 Thessalonians 2. 13. The Bible furnishes us with a standard of absolute truth and a test of what is true and what isn't. It rises 
above the changing tides of human thought, human opinion. Now, we have challenges to authority today. I'm not going to go into these in depth. Uh, they'll be on the notes that are connected with the messages, and you, I suggest that you might look them up. But um, we certainly are living in what has been designed or declared to be or defined to be a postmodernistic society that has all sorts of implications. We won't have time to get into it this morning. I want to, limit, I want to list six challenges to authority. And I want you to think about them for a moment. I'm not going to go into them in any depth. Number one, religious pluralism. That's a term used to describe the acceptance of all sorts of religious paths, all being equally valid, promoting coexistence, pluralism. You ever seen the little bumper sticker, coexist? And you see all the different religions represented by that coexist? Religious pluralism. Subjectivism. Our society is shot through with subjectivism. That is, that moral values are relative to certain individuals. That there's no real right or wrong per se. It may be right for you. It may be wrong for you. No real moral values. Now, I already said that that type of subjectivism um, obviously has its immediate flaw. Um, if you believe that, if I believe it's right for me to come up and take your wallet or your credit card or your new iPhone... We'll see if you agree that my view of morality trumps yours, you see. Relativism, moral relativism, regarding the differences in morality and ethics, judgments between different people, different cultures, tolerance, a fair, objective, and permissive attitude towards those whose opinion, practices, religion, etc., differ from your own. Freedom from bigotry, we are told. It's usually just a one-way street, as you're very well aware of. They'll be tolerant of everything but your view of Scripture and Christ and so on. But we face that. Pragmatism, a philosophy by those who claim that um, if it works satisfactorily, well, that's all that we need to do. Uh, anything unpractical is to be rejected. And hedonism, pleasure is the only intrinsic good. Behind that idea and thought is that as long as it's pleasurable, if it's not pleasurable, it's not good. Pain and suffering they produce, not good. Behavior motivated by a desire for simply pleasure and avoidance of pain. Now against those things, we have the challenge facing us in a society that believes and has imbibed many of these things and others. The Bible furnishes us with that absolute standard and test of truth, regardless of any human being's attitude towards it. The Word of God is that revelation. It doesn't need any supplements. Now listen to this. What does it matter? The Word of God has the right to command our obedience. We bow and subject ourselves to what God's Word says. It sits in judgment over us, not us in judgment upon the Word of God. Now that sounds harsh at first, but I'm reminding of what the Apostle of Love said. Love. He said, <laughs> uh, yes, he did say, didn't he, John, that his commandments are not grievous. 
See, because the word of God to the believer commands you to do the very thing that you want to do anyway. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy. And sometimes we, we battle, don't we, honestly, to face. We battle sometimes. But ultimately, we recognize that the word of God has the right to command our obedience. The word of God has the right to judge our behavior. The word of God is current and relevant. It is a current and relevant Guide. It is not outdated. It is not outmoded. It's not like a GPS that you have to, you know, you have to update. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is not outdated. It is not outmoded. It is sufficient for our salvation and for our walk as believers in the Lord Jesus It sets the standard for right and wrong, not society, not democracy, not politics, not politicians, not scientists, not educators. It is the Bible that sets the standard for what is right and what is wrong. It is reliable source of stability in the storms of life, quite a reliable source of stability, and we need it, don't we? This world is in a fog. They may not realize it. They may not admit it, but this world is like a ship in a, in a, in a thick fog trying to find its way. Where will it find the right compass? Where will it find the right guide? All sorts of voices out there clamoring to be that voice of authority. Come this way. Follow this way. Go here. And above that rises God communicating his truth through a book that you can hold in your hand and read and believe and understand and obey. As a believer, you're equipped by the Spirit of God to know the deep things of God. First Corinthians will tell you that in, in chapter 2 and so on. I love this song. I showed it to Chelsea yesterday. It's an old song. Uh, Dave will remember the unique guitar work and arrangement of Susan Ashton and, and the folks that were with her. Somewhere I remember vaguely at your home there was a signed picture by one of the uh, production people in the crew long time ago, a lot of water under the bridge. But anyway, she wrote this song called There Is a Line. And I just love the way that this poetically captures the sense of what we're talking about. Let me share this with you. It's hard to tell, and not by song, I'm going to read it, okay. (laughs) It's hard to tell just when the night becomes the day, that golden moment when the darkness rolls away. But there is a moment, nonetheless. In the regions of the heart, there is a place, a sacred charter that should not be erased. It is the marrow, the moral core that I cannot ignore. Within the scheme of things, Well, I know where I stand. My convictions, they define who I am. Some move the boundaries at any cost, but there's a line I will not cross. No riding on the fence, no alibis, no building on the sands of compromise. I won't be borrowed and I can't be bought. There is a line I will not cross. Ask the ocean where the water meets the land. He will tell you it depends on where you stand, and you're neither right or wrong. But in the fathoms of the soul, that won't ring true. 
Because truth is more than an imposing point of view. It rises above the changing tide, as sure as the morning sky. Within the scheme of things, I know where I stand. My convictions, they define who I am. Some move the boundaries at any cost, but there is a line I will not cross. No riding on the fence, no alibis, no building on the sands of compromise. I won't be borrowed, and I can't be bought. There is a line I will not cross. Oh, and it's true. The word of God rising above the changing tides stands as that great authority. You know, I tell folks sometimes, young people, uh, there are certain things that help me remember things. Unfortunately, my mind is filled with all kinds of things that sometimes I wish I wouldn't remember. But, you know, I kick it old school many times. And, and then I know if people are in that same vein, if I say certain things and it, and it clicks with them, they too remember those infamous words. This is a forty-four Magnum, the world's most powerful handgun. Get yourself a forty-four. Don't mess around. You need a forty-four. I mean, if you're going to get a handgun, and I'm not here, you know, social media. <laughs> they weren't the feed. <laughs> Why do I say that? The Lord Jesus stood on this planet, and he had something face him that I believe most of us will never have in person in that sense, and that was Satan himself. You know what he did? He pulled a forty-four. Well, you should pull a forty-four. Read it sometimes. Luke 4.4. He quoted scripture. Three times the devil tempted him. Three times he quoted scripture. Interesting, he quoted scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. Might not be the first bullet in your barrel that you pull out, but the Lord certainly could. And the devil came to tempt him. And in that 44, Luke 44, Luke 4-4, that is, the Lord quoted scripture. Well, if the Lord quoted scripture, <laughs> seemed like a pretty good policy for us, doesn't it, when we're facing temptation. Why does it matter? Two crucial questions that I mentioned at the very outset of our, our conference. The most crucial questions, and they're both so intricately, connect, intricately connected uh, that you, you really cannot separate them. Who is Jesus Christ? And is this book the Word of God? If Jesus Christ is who he said he is, this book is indeed the Word of God. If this book is not the Word of God, Jesus Christ isn't who he said he is. On both of those questions, really, or the, the two phases of that, those questions, um, as they, they, they hang together. And that's why it's so important. That's why it ultimately matters. If we don't have a communication from God in this book, the Bible, his word, well, we don't know who Jesus Christ is. Why trust him? But I stand before you here today to, to say that we do have that communication. God has given us the truth of his word. God has given us the truth concerning his son. And his son attested to the fact that this Bible is indeed the word of God. And so that's the message to you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, take God at his word. That's really what salvation is. You see, take God at his word. Believe the truth that Jesus Christ died to provide a salvation and a forgiveness of sins. And he rose from the dead 
And he lives today, and he'll save anybody who comes to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. May our attitude be that of the Lord Jesus when he was here. May our attitude be that of those who were his followers concerning the scriptures. We thank you for giving us in our hands a book that we can hold, read, believe, obey. We thank you for truth in a world that doesn't have a clue. In a world that sometimes even proclaims there is no truth. You have given us objective truth. And you tell us the truth about ourselves. You tell us the truth about life. You tell us the truth about death. You tell us the truth about salvation. You tell us the truth about eternity. You're not scared to let us know the truth about yourself. The hard things even that you've shown us. Sometimes things that are not very palatable. And yet you haven't covered them up. They're there. And Lord, we thank you for treating us in a sense, in a way which shows the the dignity upon which you even have conferred upon humanity. The way that you treat us. And reveal yourself to us. And we know that man has fallen, a fallen creature. And we have come short of the perfection that you demand. But we're so thankful that in revealing that truth, you show us the way. That although all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you again. May we not only cherish this book, but may we use it, Lord. And may we absorb it and continue to memorize it. And may we practice it, Lord. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. Practice it to be holy. Share it to be happy. We thank you again in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.